Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. Studies have shown that we can make up to 35,000 decisions every day. That breaks down to 2,000 decisions in an hour. Most of the decisions we make are inconsequential, such as what to wear or what to pack for lunch. Most of these decisions have no right or wrong answers. It's a matter of choice or preference. Some decisions, however, have lasting or even eternal consequences. If you can, please open your Bible to the book of Romans as our senior pastor, Dr. Charles Redmond, delivers his message, One Thing You Want to Get Right. No one is right all the time, but all people need to be right on one thing. And here's what it is, how you go to heaven. And that's what we're going to be looking at in our scripture reading this morning as the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans chapter 4, really, if I were going to title Romans chapter 4, I would title this chapter, The Process of Salvation. And in Romans chapter 5, we'll look at one verse. Romans chapter 5 is a chapter that talks about the results of salvation. But let's look in Romans chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1. It says, Abraham was humanly speaking the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now, He illustrates this truth. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted righteous not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, for what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Now, is this blessing only for the Jews, or is it also for uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, we have been saying that Abraham was counted righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised? Or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, Abraham accepted, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is a spiritual father of those who have faith but they have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. Well, 
You know what the Apostle Paul is talking about that makes sense to us if you'll take your bulletin is first of all, the process of salvation is not a transaction. And I wish if you'd just write that little word transaction down in your bulletin because many, many people in their mind, they may have been taught this even going to some churches that in order to be right with God, in order to be righteous, that is to measure up to the standard God established, what we have to do, we have to do this and do that, and we do this, God kind of, it's like a trade-off. Well, what he's saying is that is not the case. Now, let me say, first of all, I concede that, that salvation is an event. By that I mean there is a moment in time where you, Ask the Lord Jesus to forgive you of your sins, make you a Christian, come into your heart, and you put your faith and trust in Jesus. Now, that is a one-time event, but there is a process that leads up to that event. You may or may not even be aware of the process when it's going on. Uh, I, think, I think of my life. You think of your life. For example, I know many people that they had the event of their initial salvation, but it was a result of the prayers maybe of their mother, their father, their grandparents. I, I can think of men who became Christians because of the consistent prayers of godly wives. And so many things are involved as we move along in life that, that really these things are a process leading us to an event. A good example in the Bible would be uh, Saul of Tarsus, who became later the Apostle Paul. You can read later, but in the last few verses in Acts chapter 7, you read about Stephen being stoned to death for his faith. And the Bible says that his accusers took off their coats and threw them at the feet of a young man named Saul. So here's a picture. This young man named Saul is watching Stephen be killed because of his faith. Well, when you read the first verse in the very next chapter, in chapter 8 of Acts, you read about how he was agreeing and applauding to what was happening to this man named Stephen. But here's what I believe with all my heart. As he was watching all that, and even applauding all that, the Spirit of God was working in his heart. He may not have been aware, but God was preparing him for what was about to happen. For if you fast forward in the book of Acts, and you go to chapter 9, you read about this man, Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul. You read about him being saved on the road to Damascus. The point I make is this. What was happening back over here as he was watching Stephen be stoned to death, God was working. God was preparing his heart to open and receive Jesus Christ. And so I'm simply saying to you that in your life, if you're a Christian, before you ever had that event, Things were preparing you for that event. It could have been a song at church. It could have been a sermon. It could have been something somebody said that kind of made you begin to think. That was the Holy Spirit of God's way of working in your heart. So, a process always precedes 
uh, the event of salvation. But here is the thing, and I want you to look with me in verse number four. It, we, we don't become a, a believer, we don't become a Christian by transaction. You know, transaction is, is where you do something, and based on what you did, you receive something. He talks about that in verse four. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they've earned. In other words, you have a job, you work for a pay period, whether it be a week or half a month or the whole month, whatever it is, at the end of that pay period, you're going to get a paycheck. They may hand you a check and they may automatically deposit in your checking account. Now, that's not a gift. You've earned the check. He said that is exactly the way salvation, you don't earn salvation. It's not a transaction. It is a glorious, wonderful thing to understand. Now, as we look in our scripture and we think about what the apostle Paul is saying, uh, we, need to, we need to understand that Abraham was also not made right by, by circumcision. And we see that in verse number 10. I'm going back to the King James and read. It says, how then was it accounted while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. Now, if you will go back in your Bible to Genesis chapter number 15, the very first book in the Bible. And I want you to stay there a moment or two because some interesting, helpful material is here. The Bible tells us that Abraham was made right because he believed in God. And that happened long before he was circumcised. If you look in Genesis chapter 15, and look in verse number 6, it says, And he, that's talking about Abraham, believed in the Lord, and God accounted it to him for righteousness. Now, just as a matter of information, if you'll just turn a page or two over in Genesis chapter 17, he believed in God in chapter 15. In chapter 17, in verse 24, he was 99 years of age when he was circumcised. The point is this. He, he was not made right with God because he was circumcised. He was circumcised because he was right with God. How did he get right with God? He believed in God. That's the key. Simply to live life believing in God. That's how we become right with God. Abraham was neither made right by what? By believing God's promises. Now, you're in Genesis. Go back to Genesis chapter 12. Just turn back for a moment. Let me show you how this story all begins with Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, in verse 1, now the Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to the land that I will show you. And here's the promise. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, if you read the very next verse, you see he was 75 years of age when God made this promise to him. I don't think Abraham had a clue. <laughs> I mean, he had no children. And here God is talking about all these descendants are going to come from him. He didn't have a clue. But here's what God did. Listen carefully. About 10 years later, about 10 years later, God fleshed out this promise by pointing to the stars. Now turn over in chapter 15. 
and you'll see what I'm talking about. In chapter 15, look in verse 5. God brought Abraham outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars, if you're able to number them. And God said to him, So shall your descendants be. At this time, he had zero. He had none. Now, it's very, very interesting. 25 years later, that promise was fulfilled. If you're taking notes, that'd be in Genesis chapter 21 with the birth of Isaac. So, but the point I make, Abraham was not made right with God because he believed the promises. He believed the promises and he was right with God long before he received the promises. And that becomes so very important. Now, the second little matter that we deal with is that the process of salvation is to believe on him who justifies the ungodly. If you go back with me in your Bible to the book of Romans in chapter number four, look with me in verse number five. But to him who does not work, but believes on God who justifies, the ungodly has faith is accounted his faith is accounted for righteousness. That word justifies just means not guilty. It means to acquit. It means if we'll believe in God and believe in what God did and put our faith and trust in God and the shed blood of Jesus Christ, not our own righteousness. See, many, many sincere good people, I'm convinced, believe if they live a good life and they're honest they pay their bills. They try to do what's right. They help people. They're kind. That all these things, somehow or another, it's going to work out where in the end they go to heaven. But that is not what the Bible teaches. And it's so sad. There are churches that teach that. There are religions that teach that. But we just need to go to the Word of God and see what the Word of God says. You see, here's the bottom line. If there's been a time in your life where you've transferred your righteousness to His righteousness, then you are justified. This is what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says. God made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You ought to jot down that Bible verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him, that's Jesus, to be sin. Why? So that we might become children of God, not by our righteousness, but by his righteousness. In other words, your trust has to be in his righteousness, in his shed blood, not in your righteousness. And the difference it makes is one day out in eternity, you'll be in heaven and it will be a glorious thing. But let me tell you a second thing. It changes your perspective on how you see things in this life. That's the marvelous thing. One of the great things about being a Christian, someone says, well, you know, everybody, you know, would want to be a Christian. When they die, they can go to heaven. Well, that's true. I want to spend my eternity with God in heaven. Hopefully you feel the same. But listen, I'm not in eternity now. I, eternity begins when you die. You're not dead, nor am I. So I'm living life before eternity. 
as you. And if we've placed our faith and trust in his righteousness, then it changes how we see things in this life, no matter what they are. Now, John and I had the most marvelous, the most marvelous visit a couple of weeks ago with a friend who used to be, he and his wife, members of our church, John and Grace Black. Some of you would know John Black. Maybe you know Grace Black. They'd been members here, like, I guess, 20 years, give or take. And for 20 years, John Black has been a real encourager to John and a great encourager to me. He just was a guy that really had a heart, and he just, he just his presence was just a blessing. It's interesting, John Black, amongst other things, was a sports writer, and he's one of the people that votes on who goes into the Baseball Hall of Fame. And here, a couple of weeks ago, he called and said, I'm going to be in Houston for some tests that I'm having at MD Anderson, and could I come by and visit with you and John? And we said, well, certainly. Well, he came. The first thing I observed was John, I asked him how much. He had lost 90 pounds. He has cancer. He had a surgery at MD Anderson just to see if they could do the surgery that would have to be done to solve the problem. And it said, yes, they could. And the surgery that he has ahead, it's a horrible surgery. And the recovery time is from six to nine months. And then during that time, he's still taking chemo, and they say when this is all over, 20% of your body weight will be gone. He's already lost 90 pounds. So John is really facing the battle of his life. You know, I'm, I'm listening to him tell me what's ahead for him. Like MD Anderson says, if this surgery works and the chemo works, you probably have at best five years to live. If you don't do this, you probably have less than one year to live. Now, we're sitting in a room talking to a guy that's a real guy that has just been such a blessed part of our life all these years. I just finally said, John, like, like how you do it? And he reared back in his chair. It's the most amazing thing. He said something I've never heard said. I mean, I just, as a good question, John, he just got through telling us, like, this is the best I can hope for, and this, this is kind of what I'm up against, and uh, how you doing? And he said, well, I'll tell you exactly how I'm doing. Listen to this. <laughs> he said, I'm, I'm living the last verse in one of my old favorite hymns leaning on the everlasting arms. And then with that, he just kind of sat back in his chair and began to say those words, what have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessed peace with my Lord so near. Lean on the everlasting arms. Now, when he said that, he's just in a chair, had a smile on his face had a peace. I mean, it's just unbelievable. 
I'm thinking, my gracious, I'm talking to a man that may not make it. We pray God work a miracle. And he's saying, what if I'd have dread? What if I'd have fear? Leaned on the everlasting arms. What a blessed peace is mine when Jesus is so near. Lean on the everlasting arms. And then I thought about that next verse. Look in chapter 5, verse 1. In chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to ask you a question. What are you leaning on? I mean, eternity is out there. Things do come in this life. Every one of us. Good question. What are you leaning on? And what I'm saying to you this morning, if you'll lean on the everlasting arms of Jesus, you'll have a peace with God in this life. Not only that, when this life is over, you'll have an eternity with God in heaven. Why? Not because of a transaction, not because of circumcision, not because believing Bible promises. Why? Just like Abraham. By believing God, he was counted righteous. I want you to bow with me this morning. Our heads bowed and hearts open to the Lord. Most of you in this room, you've had that event of salvation in your life. There was a time, you may not remember the day, date, and hour, but there was a time in your life when you remember that you said, I'm going to put my faith in the Lord Jesus and his blood to pay my sin debt. And you asked Jesus to come into your heart and make you a Christian. Now, some of you this morning, You've never gotten to that event, but you, you've been through some process. In fact, you may be in one right now. Today's sermon may be part of the process for you to take that step forward to that event of becoming a child of God. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. I believe others this morning. I believe others this morning. You may have already done that. Others might say, no, but I need to do that. I want to know that I'm going to heaven. Well, you can. How do you know? By doing the very thing we've looked this morning. By letting his righteousness become your righteousness. If you say, I want to do that, with heads bowed, just pray this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and make me a Christian. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that I've settled my eternity. I thank you, Jesus, not because of my righteousness, but because of your righteousness. I'm now justified. I'm now pardoned. I'm now declared not guilty. I never need ever again worry about that. Thank you for that. In your name, I pray. Now, with our heads bowed, in a moment, we're going to have a time of opportunity to confess the fact that we've placed our faith and trust in Jesus. You know, Jesus said, 
He who confesses me before men, I'll confess before the Father which is in heaven. But he who denies me before men, I will deny before the Father who is in heaven. For those of you who have just prayed to receive Christ as your Savior today, you also have an opportunity to confess that you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, just as Dr. Redmond stated. Please share your decision with us by sending us an email to info at peacebybelieving.org or by giving us a call at 1-800-337-0157. Another part of confessing your faith in Christ is through believer's baptism. We encourage you to get plugged into a strong Bible-believing church in your area, to follow the Lord in your baptism, and to tell your friends and family about how Jesus has changed your life. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.